0: this week on glistening particles so. i never in a million years ever would have guessed that that would be a show <laughs> that you say that you listen to without missing <laughs> oh also like um the daily yeah oh right right <laughs> sure. well a lot of people say that especially a lot of podcasters and people in broadcasting but the other one i haven't heard that before so that that is my favorite little side sideways view of you today <laughs> Before we get started, are you thinking about joining the ranks of podcasters? If so, let me give a shout out to Blueberry, who is part of how this show is here today. They make it so easy with their PowerPress plugin. Each show is effortlessly linked to iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and more. Even better, they have five-star support with Mike to get everything humming along. Go to Blueberry.com, that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y, and use promo code GLISTEN to get your free month trial. that's an example how I never know where the story is going to go. I was laughing so hard when we got to that section, but I don't want to give it away. I want you to enjoy the ride. And I'm talking on this episode with Tamara, who runs the Lonely Palette podcast. She's the creator, the editor, and the host. And she does an amazing job of sharing art history with people. And wait till you to hear the story of how she became a podcaster. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Here we go. Hey, listeners! Today, I'm with Tamar Avashai, and she is from uh, the Lonely Palette podcast. And we met in Chicago at a really cool conference. And I'm so happy to have her here. Welcome, Tamar.
1: Hi. Thank you.
0: So, the way that I found Tamar, because I'd love to tell you guys—you know—you're always asking, "How are you finding these people for the show?" Well, Tamar um, was a panelist on this really amazing workshop where independent podcasters shared their story about how they created their podcast. So why don't we start with that? Tell people about your podcast and how they can listen to it and what it's all about.
1: Sure, Um, so my podcast is called The Lonely Palette and its goal is to take the two words that are most associated with art history, which is uh, snooty and boring, uh, and make them actually, make art history really accessible and unpretentious. And every episode, will focus on one object and I'll start by actually interviewing people in the museum in front of the object, not experts. I want to make that really clear. You know, I don't, I don't stand there with curators. I stand there with people who are just, just happen to be at the museum for the day and ask them to describe what they see. I actually say, imagine that you're on the phone with somebody
2: hmm. so
1: that they really articulate what they're looking at and not just how it makes them feel, which mm-hmm. is something that people tend to do when they look at art. They they kind of they want to be right and so they'll fasten on to something that they can feel right about, you know, like their right. own reaction to something. But it's actually, you know, if you just say, Tell me what's happening in this in this object, how would you describe it? Then you get these awesome descriptions mm-hmm. of uh, you know, of of associations and, and what they feel like it looks like and what it reminds them of. And I patchwork those anonymous voices together at the beginning so that the listener gets this wonderful mind's eye Mm -hmm. visualization of what the object looks like. If they don't necessarily want to look it up because this is a podcast, it's not necessarily, Uh you know, in front of your computer. And then uh, from there, that's about three minutes. And then the next is, is 15, 20 minutes of me just telling the story of this object. From the social context to anecdotes about the artist and basically anything that really makes you understand why this object matters and why it can matter to you as the listener.
0: You know, for me as a, a definite art novice, um, I love that because I when I've gone to museums and taken the time to have a curator tell me about a piece and really learn, like there's this one at a local museum... So I can't really remember the name of the artist or the piece, which is part of my, um, what I call my novice art history skills. (laughs) But the curator described to us, because I was with my son's class, really what was going on in the painting. And there was so much to it. Like she explained about why some people were dressed in, you know, you could tell that they were the elite, you know, the more rich people in the people in the painting because of the way they were dressed and what um the other all the other people were doing because of the expressions on their face. And mm-hmm. she explained um noticing that only one person in this painting, which had, I would bet, 50 people in it, was actually looking directly at the artist or at us. Mm-hmm. You know, and what was the expression in her face, this woman's face, as all of this chaos was happening around her and every time i go back to the museum i go back to that painting because mm-hmm. i i see it differently it's just like yeah. it's just like when you know somebody like maybe um through through text or email and then you hear their voice after that <laughs> every email that you have sounds different yeah and so that's what i love about your show because it takes me it brings me deeper into that work and i love art i wanted to be an artist i wanted to be an art teacher so for me A simple, easy way through your show to get to that is just so desirable.
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, what you just described is actually what every art historian experienced when they were in school, Mm. where the more you learn about any individual object, you just make a beeline for it when you actually see it in person Mm -hmm. and it's not that building is my oyster and I just understand everything. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's like you studied one painting and that's from the same movement as this other painting. And Oh, so God, I'm seeing it in person and I can really point out, you know, I can, I can show this other person or this other person that I happen to be with what Mm -hmm. is happening in it here and here. And it's like, it's remarkably exciting to then see the object that you know something about. And so when art historians feel that way, I feel like it's their duty to share that Mm -hmm. and not withhold it, which is some art historians have a tendency to do that. And I think they give all the other ones a bad rap. (laughs) And so we're kind of fighting that painting by painting.
0: Oh, I bet. You know, I love when I actually am at the museum and people, the curators are telling the stories because I can feel their excitement too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And, you know, when I do listen to your show, I always have to look up the piece, though. I have to visually see it so I can sort of play with it in my mind while you're talking. But um, it's not a necessity because you have the people describing it ahead of time.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people do both. Right. Um, a right. lot of people kind of want to imagine what it looks like and then look it up themselves. I'm actually very surprised if people don't look at the object.
2: Right. Um, <laughs> if they
1: really just depend on those voices. I feel like that's <laughs> like that's a little bit too much power. Right. And I, you know, I would never want to take away from the objects themselves. I just also want to be respectful of the podcast medium mm-hmm. that not everybody, you know, not everybody should have to take that extra step if it's not why they popped on a podcast.
0: Right. I mean, I think it's a really interesting twist with what you're doing because you really are working with something visual in an audio medium, and that's mm-hmm. unique. And for you know, for me, I imagine that everybody who listens either looks at it beforehand or afterwards. I can't mm-hmm. imagine not looking at it at all. I'd have to get the, that last piece of the puzzle if I didn't do it ahead of time. But it is yeah. really a unique twist that you're doing. And I think it's such a um, like an honor like it's such a way to honor all these artists who have done such amazing things and bringing them, their stories to people a new way. Mm. So how long have you had your show up?
1: I launched the show in May of 2016.
0: Okay. So we're pretty close. I was August. So we're in kind of yeah. in the same lane. And how often do you post episodes? Uh, well, kind of a sore spot. I, oh, okay. I want it. Into- <laughs> no, I
2: mean, I, <laughs>
1: You know, when I first started this, I had a lot of scripts that I just had written very quickly. You know, I was just kind of bursting to get them out. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, wow, I'll just, you know, release an episode every other week. Like, it's no problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was a problem. That's actually a really hard schedule to keep to when you have a full-time job. And and really, every piece of this is is me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very intensive writing. Um, and so I, I decided to kind of tone it down a little bit, move to every three weeks. Now it's relatively monthly. And now Mm -hmm. I'm trying to tell myself, you know, podcasts that release, you know, eight to 10 episodes a season are totally normal. Some even do six, you know, I, I think I can be comfortable with, with really just releasing when I release, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is something that, I, you know, that's a luxury, like, that's a privilege to be able to have a listener base that will just receive you when you can give them something, as opposed to when you're really building up an audience, which I was, you know, for the first year and a half, mm-hmm. um, where if you stop producing, you feel like you kind of disappear.
0: And right, I don't yes.
1: feel that way anymore.
0: That's amazing. You have a really large um, following as well, from what we yeah,
1: from what I remember. Bit in by the panel. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's it's been a very slow slog, yeah. Um, but the nice thing about this kind of, you know, it like it's it's infinite possibility. You know, yeah. you can just you can just keep reaching more people. You know, that person tells ten people, they tell ten people, they tell. You know, it it, right. it grows exponentially really quickly. Well, well if I, you're
0: lucky, right? It's not really quickly for me, but I'm j- I'm just still doing it because I love doing it. I always wonder how people found their way to podcasting. What was your, how, how did you end up doing this?
1: I actually, you know, it's interesting. So I was listening to, you know, back, back when it was called radio, um, <laughs> I was listening to, uh, a lot of, you know, this American life and radio lab and, you know, shows like that I felt like kind of got me through grad school in 2006, 2007. Like I felt like. There was this incredibly well-crafted storytelling that was really dependent on the writing. And mm-hmm. I always admired the writers who write for those kinds of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a really there's a real kind of intimate humanness. You know, people will describe podcasting and it's its dependence on the human voice mm-hmm. as really about the kind of intimacy and familiarity that you that you establish with the storyteller the host you know these shows become very very personal right and I came out of grad school in art history uh in 2008 which meant that the you know, the world collapsed. Right. And I couldn't get a job. You know, we didn't even think about this in, you know, in the, the <laughs> days of 2006, you know, right. you go in and yeah. get an art history master's like, you know, you know, you're sure you'll get a job. And not only was that kind of a big ask in 2006, 2007, but after 2008, it was just, you know,
0: <laughs> right. curtains. I know. So, it's, the timing is, yeah, makes such a difference.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, it was a bummer and mm-hmm. it really made me question everything. And I was thinking, okay, well then I'll, I'll go back to school, you know, I'll kind of retreat back to my, my, the cozy bosom of, academia. <laughs> but I didn't really like it anymore. I, I loved making connections. I loved teaching, but I found that the, the process of academic writing and researching really painful mm. like i just i it didn't feel to me like i felt like i always had to put myself on a shelf mm. and write for an audience that was expecting a very specific thing which was very different from the audience when i was teaching
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: when i was introducing people to the to the whole discipline that was a really different experience. I got to tell stories. I got to, you know, bring in little pop culture references in order for people to kind of get where I'm going. And, you know, I love to kind of make students laugh. Mm-hmm. Which you can't do in a seminar presentation. You know, it oh, just right. felt the further up the ivory tower I would go, the more of myself I would lose along the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though I loved art history, you know, right. like I loved the the, the study itself. So I decided, all right, well, I'm just not going to be an art historian anymore. You know, see you Aww. later. Like, I'll figure Aww. out something else. I, <laughs> I worked at Starbucks for a year. I got a job at this finance firm that I still work at, actually, uh-huh. um, and had a really nice break from academia. You know, it was a real relief to, to be making something concrete, even mm-hmm. if it was a cup of coffee.
2: <laughs> like, it <laughs>
1: felt very tangible. And that was just exactly what I'd been missing. Hmm. And then I, uh, so this is all a long way to get into, uh, back to radio, right? Um, a, a dear friend of mine, uh, had worked at this American life at the time and she, uh, brought me to, uh, like an after party of a live show that they did. Uh And in one fell swoop, I met producers. I met Ira Glass. I met oh my David Rakoff and, you know, just all of these. And it was just one night, you know, it was just right. a, I was just milling around and chatting with people. But I realized as soon as I went from one conversation to the other, I was like, my God, these people are awesome. Like these are <laughs> my people. They are, they're so observant. They're so compassionate. They're really interesting. You know, they're interesting in the ways that I feel like I always prided myself on being interesting. Mm. And I was like, maybe this is what I want to do. Like art history be damned, you know, maybe this is like, this is the kind of work I should be doing. And I don't think that that's something like, I think it's kind of a self-selecting group of people. Like, I don't think everybody wants to be a radio producer. I think it's only when you surround yourself with them that you realize that they're, they're more your community.
0: That's exactly how I felt at Third Coast when I got to that yeah. conference. I was—I literally um, messaged that back to a friend of mine. I'm like, I found my people. I found my people, you know. And I would walk down the aisles and be like, Look at them all. There's all my people, you know. Yeah. And so interested in other people,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're really interested in in stories, stories.
0: storytelling. Yes. Yeah.
1: So I was like, okay. So I'm not going to be an art historian anymore. I'm going to be a radio producer. And I started to kind of put the pieces together to get out of my job and get into the world of radio. And then Serial came along and exploded everything uh-huh. and made, on the one hand, everybody was aware of podcasts and everybody wanted to make one. And on the other hand, it meant that a lot of the jobs that had been kind of, you know, not not like low-hanging fruit, but uh-huh. it was a small community. So if you know people, they can help you know, they can help you out. And it just like, it didn't matter. The competition was so fierce all of a sudden that it just, you know, it, it got just as bad as academia, if not worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fast.
1: Yeah. And, and I actually like during this time, I started to reconsider what I had loved about art history in the first place.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I realized how heavily storytelling plays into how people get excited about art history, because it's exactly what you said at the beginning, people look at a painting. And if somebody explain, you know, if somebody tells the story, mm-hmm. you care, right? Um, and I feel like in the same way that, that, you know, this American life said, look at this, this random person in the middle of nowhere, and how they actually have a really interesting story, like replace random person with random painting. And I think it's the exact same Thing, oh, know, right. Things exactly. Things really overlooked. And yet it's actually got a really cool story. You know, sit there, let me explain it to you. Um, so that, so I decided to, you know, I, if I didn't have anything, like if I couldn't get into kind of radio school, <laughs> then mm-hmm. I would just, you know, try my hand at making my own and what do I know stuff about art history and it just kind of came together really, really beautifully. Because exactly what I had hated about academia was exactly what I could turn into, like what I could parlay into radio. Mm. Um, you know, that my own voice and and being able to explain this stuff in a really accessible way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like, you know, I got in at the right time. I think you did too. You know, yes, yeah, definitely even in the last two years, it's, the market's been kind
0: of oversaturated and, Mm. you know,
1: like, oh, you've got a podcast. So does my dog. I know (laughs) it used to
0: be like, it's still a cool thing to, I love saying it, you know, but it's Mm -hmm. not as like unusual anymore, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: to say that actually, it's like, well, actually I have a successful podcast. (laughs) You
1: know, it's like that changes the game a little
0: bit. That is awesome. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, where I look at it too is, I feel like I'm a pro- now become a professional podcaster. I'm not mm-hmm. making money at it, a lot of money at it, but it's still like I could go teach somebody else how to do this. I could, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a hundred and what is it, a hundred and thirteen episodes. So that's that's amazing. I know <laughs> you should
1: <laughs> like that's really really incredible it to is. have that kind
0: of. And you know, even when I don't know if I if it's the right place for me to be spending my time. Um, I know that I loved hearing the stories and being the person to share them. And I just think if nothing else, if nothing else, my kids and grandkids will love this in the mm-hmm. future. You know what I mean? They just go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they can go back and listen to me talk about crazy things from 2018 and that's okay. So one of the things that I think is especially unique and about your show and something I really appreciate as a not art historian is the way you do bring people in at the beginning who have a very novice level of art history knowledge and let them share their, their perceptions. So how does that go when you do that? Do you, um, are people always willing or are they kind of like, eh, oh get my away God. from me lady? No,
1: <laughs> they're not. It's actually, um, I've been doing this. So, I give uh, monthly spotlight talks at the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, and okay. this is actually where I kind of got the the format for the show. Because what I have to do in these spotlight talks is kind of burst out of a corner on the hour and give a talk about one painting,
2: hmm. like
1: a ten fifteen minute talk. And if you happen to be, you know, in the gallery at the time, you can either like, <laughs> you know, back away or <laughs> or you know, hang out and I try to make these talks fun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there's, and there's, there's quite a bit too of, of crossover between, you know, the tour that, that somebody didn't know that they wanted, right? <laughs> you know, and, right. and also how to keep people in, you know, how to keep people interested when they can't like read ahead and know if this is worth staying for. And I think that there's a real parallel to audio that way, because when somebody is telling you a story, you also can't kind of flip ahead or flip behind and, you know, go back a couple pages and be like, wait, where did she get that? Oh yeah. When she said that. So, um, you know, writing these spotlight talks have, has really helped prepare me to write these podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so I just, um, I will, be there in the gallery, you know, maybe 15 minutes before I start my spotlight talk and I'll have my audio gear Uh and I'll just kind of gently go up to somebody and say, would you be willing to, you know, I produce this podcast when the podcast was really just me and, you know, in a dream, Uh um, In some ways, it was easier because I was like, don't worry, no one's ever going to hear this. (laughs) And that was actually a really good way to get people to to trust me. Uh And the flip side of that actually is that sometimes people will come to my spotlight talks now because they know about the podcast and they, you know, couldn't be more excited to have me then say like, Oh, you want to be on it? I could actually use your help. And they're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Oh. <laughs> gonna, yeah, that's pretty, that it doesn't happen very often, oh. but when it does, it's really exciting. I love um, that. People don't realize how symbiotic this, this mm-hmm. you want to listen. I want to make something for you to listen to. Right. relationship is. Right. Um, but anyway, so, so, you know, most people have never heard of the show. And so I will ask them if they just want to be on a podcast. And if you talk to somebody who, you know, <laughs> has bangs in a nose ring, <laughs> right? You know, like myself, then it's like, Oh, yeah, totally. I'd love to be on a podcast. If you ask somebody who's, um, you know, maybe a little older or, or not, you know, not from here, like, you know, and, and might be a little bit uncomfortable with with their level of English, um, then people will v- be very quick to say, no, thank you. And actually, what I have always wrestled with is the immediate fear that flashes through their eyes mm-hmm. at the idea that they have to talk about art, and that they have to give some kind of informed opinion when they don't trust their own. They don't trust their own opinion about mm-hmm. art. And they right. feel like being asked by somebody you know, I talk about this in in my first episode, you know, I I come up to them with a badge and in an art museum, you know, it's almost like wearing a doctor's coat and asking them for medical advice. You know, people are just freaked out at the idea of being wrong talking about art to somebody that they think is an expert. Mm -hmm. So I have to be very, very clear. Sometimes I even take my badge off um, (laughs) and just be really clear that like, the less that somebody is familiar with the object, the better. Right. The less art historical understanding they have, the better, because then you get the really authentic responses to, you know, I'm looking at this Mondrian and it looks to me like a computer screen and it's like, perfect. right? It's, that's That's exactly the kind of description that I can then build the whole idea of, you know, <laughs> like dynamic equilibrium and universality that Mondrian was trying to achieve, you know, off of that very... Um, like that totally valid observation Mm -hmm. that it does look like a computer screen. It doesn't look like it was painted by a human hand. And that's really, that's a really important part of Mondrian's whole thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of descriptions are great.
0: Do you, um, wait till you have those descriptions before you build the script or do you already have the script written before, you know, like ahead of time? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Because I was thinking sometimes there are references to the descriptions, right, in the script? Rarely.
1: Okay. Um, And that really might just be more of a situation of whether or not I have my stuff together before I actually (laughs) sit down and write the script. Um, You know, whether or not I really had the time to go through those interviews. Mm -hmm. I used to um, make the – I used to to edit together the little interview piece first. Mm Mm-hmm. And now sometimes I don't even get to it until, you know, like it's the last step of, of putting the episode together. And then I'll hear something that would have been so good in the script and I kick myself and just the life of a, life of a podcaster.
0: Life of an independent podcaster without a production, audio production crew taking care of all of the small things. (laughs) I know. And yours is, I mean, the other thing that I was impressed with your show and Uh, something that excited me after being at the conference was yours is highly edited. So there's transitions between things, there's music, there's Mm -hmm. all these different pieces. Mine is, you know, the intro, a conversation and the outro. And I mean, I'm (laughs) not, I'm not like knocking one or the other, but it takes a lot more time to do that level of editing every episode. Yeah. I want
1: it to sound really professional. That was something that right out of the gate, I wanted it to sound like I had been to radio school Mm -hmm. and that I was, I, I respected that even though podcasting is is hugely democratic and that's really exciting right mm-hmm. now that really you know anybody can do it, I don't think anybody can do it. I think you have to work at it the same as, as any other mm-hmm. creative thing. Um, and that there are to me, I've always felt like there are certain, um, like there's a, a production quality standard that I never want it to fall below. And mm-hmm. it means that I put an incredible amount of work into polishing and polishing and, you know, taking the little mouth sounds out of my, you know, I know what it looks like when I when I look at the editing software and there's like a little line in my breath.
2: Mm-hmm. It's like
1: that's where my, my uvula moved. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, it's like, and I take that out. Um, but it's, I, I feel like having a listener's ear is a privilege and it's not something that should be wasted. And mm-hmm. I, there are a lot of podcasts out there where people just think they're so freaking fascinating and they can just talk and talk and talk and never edit it. Mm-hmm. And I personally feel like shows like that dilute our whole brand. Um, but that's my definition of what the brand is. Too. Right. right. Get me wrong. You know, I think that that, if if somebody believes that their brand is, I'm creating this, um, uh, you know, kind, how would I even put this? Like people really want to share, and there are definitely people who really want to listen, and it is totally democratic. You know, anybody can get this editing software and just put something up, mm-hmm. and podcasts are very hot and zeitgeisty right now and you know you call something a podcast and you you will get a few listeners um you know and that kind of like going back to the the intimacy of the voice it means that people feel very safe with these voices that they come to expect so if that's the brand great you know but i still feel like i i was even self-taught under the umbrella of Mm -hmm. npr Mm -hmm. you know and and the kind of audio quality that I would hope to hear in the shows that I really looked up to and continue to look up to. I mean, there are more every day. Right. So. I do
0: I do think though that there is, I mean, I agree with you about the quality. I always want to achieve the highest quality that I can in the context of my skills, my time, my resources, all of that. But I do think that there are people who enjoy different types of styles of podcasting. You know, some mm-hmm. people enjoy the the long form, free conversation, um, no edit, um, lots of in and outs kind of thing. And other people really prefer a very tightly edited show. Like one of my favorites, and I've said this a, probably a million times, is um, The Hidden Brain. Mm-hmm. And I love the transitions that they do and the way that they move back and forth between things. And it's something I would love to at some point create myself, some a show that's edited that way. Um, but I can't do it every week. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that in some ways I need to kind of chill about, or at least be a little bit more open-minded again about what people's like, what we consider the brand of podcasting to be, which is something that, that it seems like third coast is wrestling with too. Right. You know, like what, what is prod, what is podcast versus broadcast Mm -hmm. and what is podcast versus itself? Right. And try to kind of you know i i say that i'm raised on this american life you know mm-hmm. the 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 patriarch of this kind of radio and at the same time the only show the only podcast that i've listened to every episode of mm-hmm. so far is called again with this Beverly Hills 90210 <laughs> where <laughs> these <laughs> these like awesome sassy ladies um, go through every episode of Beverly Hills 90210 and what? do a recap and play audio <laughs> clips and it is like it is my security blanket like wow. i love that show and i will always listen to a new episode i only watched the first maybe 4 or 5 seasons of 90210 and uh-huh. granted i was you know i was a teenager it was the greatest thing ever but then the show got really bad and yet i still listen to a podcast of that recaps a show i of seasons I didn't even watch because <laughs> I love these ladies so much. <laughs> and that to me is like also what a podcast is for, obviously. Right. You know, so that is not something that would ever be on NPR and yet, you know, I can't I can't miss an episode.
0: I so. never in a million years ever would have guessed that that would be a show that you say that you listen to without missing. <laughs> oh, also like um, The Daily, yeah. Oh, right, right. Sure. Well, a lot of people say that, especially a lot of podcasters and people in broadcasting, but the other one, I haven't heard that before. So that that is my favorite little side sideways view of you today. <laughs>
1: Uh, but that's just it. You know, I mean, you know, podcasts tap into people's nostalgia. It's you know, podcasts are kind of like subreddits. Mm-hmm. You know, you just find your little community. and it doesn't mean that you make the top ten list, you know, on on Apple podcasts. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, get millions of listeners, but the ones that you get are loyal. Right. And I find myself in you know, kind of swimming in that pool a little bit where, I, you know, I have a very niche show, I'm never going to be, you know, I'm never going to be able to cast my net wide enough to be, you know, a This American Life kind Mm -hmm. of show. Mm -hmm. But the listeners that I have seem to be really loyal and really lovely and support the show with an enthusiasm that just, I don't know, it just kind of leaves me breathless. Like I, I never would have expected that kind of, of like love for the show.
0: You know, it, it gave me goosebumps when you said that because I, I saw, I went out to your Patreon and Patreon page and saw what you're doing, and uh, it's amazing. It's amazing the amount of followers and people supporters that you have for your show. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I need to remember, like. Sometimes I just go to go to my Patreon page, especially when I'm sitting with writer's block, uh-huh. and I go there and I just kind of like like pet it just kind of feel like you know it's cool you know they're like there's a a pretty sizable handful of people who are willing to pay for something that they get for free right and that's a really like that is such a vote of confidence and not because they get a mug you know but because they want more episodes
0: right I know I have I have some patreon people and I like I they're sort of my I don't want to let them down you know, in the moments where I feel like, am I going to get this episode out this week? I don't want to let them down because they've actually, they're supporting me. They've taken time and money out of their pocket, you know, and I know that they're listening and I know that they're there. And so even for that, it's it's like such a cool world we're in that we can do this. That's the thing. I mean, five, 10 years ago, you couldn't really do it this way. And we can do this. We can get our voice out there. We can be in somebody's car with them. I mean, we were even talking about, There's a new way that, uh, what is it called? Uh, smart speakers, you know, like, uh, -hmm. like Alexa's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people are now wanting to get their podcasts on there. And there's this question of, well, do people really want to listen to podcasts in their family, like when their whole family's around while they're making dinner? Because podcast, um, the, the podcasts we listen to are such a personal thing and such a personal relationship. Mm -hmm. And, so they're trying to question, like, will that really be a market for podcasting? Because oftentimes, and that's what people are saying in this uh, feed that I was reading, like, it is really kind of a personal thing. Like, I listen to my podcasts when I'm alone. I listen to them when I'm biking or when I'm in the car by myself or or whatever. But I don't really listen to them as a group. Like, I picture back in the the old days when people would sit around a radio and listen to the radio mm-hmm. show together. We don't yeah. do that, but we could. Well.
1: I, we could. I think that there's something to that, though, because, you know, my husband and I, when we go on a long road trip, we'll pick up a, a show to binge, mm-hmm. you know, same way that you'd binge Netflix together. Like, right. there's a, I think that there's a really nice sense of community that comes from, from radio, it it lets you know how like minded the, the physical people in your life are right. with you, that people would be interested in the same show. And yet at the same time, you know, he will listen to, to podcasts about his own personal interests that you know I wouldn't divulge here but like I right. wouldn't necessarily you know like like his shows from right. his youth right <laughs> and I listen to my nine or two when we meet up in the kitchen right but um, you know like there's it doesn't feel that different even from from sharing music together mm-hmm. you know people just feel yeah like it's it's a great way like good stories are connectors
0: right. You know, I and I don't know if this podcast exists, but one of the next ones I think we need to have is one that really is a family podcasting, you mm-hmm. know, like where that families could listen to, where they talk about, like, I would, I don't think my, my kids would be open to open sharing that way, but I think there are some that would, where they would talk about issues that maybe teens are facing as a family or that are world issues as a family to help other mm-hmm. families have those conversations, you know?
1: Yeah you know, maybe what we've lost in everybody kind of getting together to watch TV shows, you know, like TGIF or, you know, like the way that, that channels used to kind of have very specific times for family programming Mm -hmm. that, you know, the radio podcasting. Well, isn't it funny how, (laughs) you know, how kind of archaic that is? It's like, like to, to get past the television, we've gone to podcasting. I know it's and almost like loved,
0: back to radio, you know?
1: Yeah. And I love the idea that, that there are now some podcasts that have been developed for TV. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's called, well, but, but that's like the idea that this is such a novel idea to develop a radio story for television. It's uh-huh. like, yeah, that already happened in the forties <laughs> and fifties. And now we're talking about it. Like, this is such a, like, this is such a
0: new thing. I know that's I, I actually like it though. I like that it's taking us down one one thing I love about podcasts listening is it takes down my senses, so I'm really ultra focused. Mm-hmm. you know the um and I like that I can be doing other things while I'm doing it. and the fact that we've gone backwards that's that's history. It's always like that, right. We go forward and backwards and forward and backwards. It's like everything we do goes that way. so that's no, not the- a bad thing. <laughs>
1: The podcast that you can see. Right. It's called that's...
0: television <laughs> <laughs> or a film. That is just ridiculous. Yeah. So watching people talking. Hmm. Yeah. Have we done that before? <laughs> <laughs> so what is your um, hope for the future of your show? Like, do you have some anything different you want to do with it going ahead or more just more of the same good stuff?
1: I would love to, I mean, you know, there's the hope for my business and then how I would want the the creative angle of the show to evolve and the hope for the business of it is to ultimately be doing this as my career. Um, you know, I really want to be a professional audio producer mm-hmm. and either have, you know, either because my show is something that has enough of a listenership that I can really make some, you know, make a living from it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or that I've had the opportunity, you know, that I get the opportunity to work for other shows, that you know, and maybe kind of keep doing this on the side. I don't know. Um, but in terms of the show itself, I I like the idea. You know, my most recent episode was actually um, lifted <laughs> wholesale robbery from a <laughs> that I wrote in grad school that I always felt like was more of an article than a than a grad school paper. It always felt like something that could have had a larger readership. Mm-hmm. Um, where I looked at um, Matisse's The Dance and Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. And for some reason, they're just always paired together. And I thought, you know, when I was in grad school, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Like that's that's a little popular, you know? I could mm-hmm. take the the popular angle and say this is something that people tend to do in the popular imagination. So maybe there's some sort of art historical reasoning for it. And in diving into it, when I wrote the paper originally, I got all excited by, by the way that, that the choreography of the ballet was really reflecting the same interests that Matisse had in kind of mining Russian folk art. And that there was this very cool, cross-pollinization between, between Russia and France during this period, and mm. that's why these two things look so similar. And it's not a normal episode. It's not a kind of focus on one painting. Like, this isn't really about Matisse's The Dance. It's about early 20th century modernism and how so many of these artists and, and musicians and kind of creatives were were drawing inspiration from the same place. And that seems like a really good way of telling the story of that time period. And so I wonder if there's the opportunity to do more of those kinds of thematic episodes. Mm-hmm. But they're hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're harder than the typical, um, you, you know, these are kind of the bullet points that are really important to know about this, this or that painting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it requires a really, um, you know, kind of, uh, subtle argument. And Mm -hmm. yet you can't be too subtle in radio because nobody can see it, (laughs) you know? So you have to, you have to signpost a little bit. You have to be really clear about, um, you know, where, where I'm coming from, where you have to be really clear about where you're coming from and where you're going. Um, and so it requires that kind of very, colloquial language to explain something that is actually pretty academic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I just want to, you know, on the one hand, I want to take, you know, take a stab at more episodes like that. And on the other, that's, that's scary. That's hard to do with a full-time job and yeah. you know, like just a lot of other balls up in the air.
0: Are you already actively pursuing work, you know, working in this field? I mean, besides your podcast itself, but trying to find employment. In the podcast not really. world,
1: not outside of the show itself, okay. and um, and uh, Hub and Spoke, which is our audio collective
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that I co-founded with a couple other shows, and and we are together, kind of making, trying to really articulate what the difference is between a collective and a network. And I think, <laughs> I think the real difference is money. Okay, you know, a network. <laughs> A network, you know, like Gimlet will we'll hire, you know, will kind of buy your show, basically. Mm-hmm, right. And pay you to produce it. And we just want to promote each other and try to, you know, get each other as much exposure as possible. And we actually just had our first tub and spoke graduation. One of our shows, Hi-Fi Nation, just moved to Slate. So, you know, they got bought by a network. And that's really exciting for them. And it gives us a lot of hope that, that we are, you know, kind of... We're going down the right path by by helping each other out and making us all feel a little bit more legit in this right. industry.
0: That's incredible. You know, I remember when you told me about that at the conference. So Hub and Spoke for the listeners is a an audio collective where how many podcasts are part of it? Is it six or seven? Uh, well, right now it's five. five. It was okay. six. And you join together to help cross promote your shows in the Boston area. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's such a unique idea. I don't know that a lot of that is happening yet. And something actually, I want to try to um, model after in the Madison area to see if I can get the same kind of thing created here. And it's I, I I love the grassroots nature nature of podcasting. I mean, from every angle, that's what it is. It's you know looking for the next way to make it better among the people that you're working with. So, and you guys don't have all the same kind of shows either. You're all different topics, correct?
1: Yeah, we're different topics, but we have, we're, we're like-minded, you know, we, we really wanted to make sure we didn't want to be too, um, kind of draconian with our criteria. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't want to, to really exclude a show that might, you know, maybe kind of be outside of the box, but we wanted, we wanted to have it be you know, you you listen to us something, not mm-hmm. necessarily someone, but something, which mm-hmm. makes us a little bit more academically focused, or or at least educationally focused. So we have uh, the show Soonish, which is about technology and kind of how like the human side of technology. Um, there's Ministry of Ideas, which is. Uh, out of Harvard Divinity School. And so there's a very strong focus there on on kind of secular sermons about the modern world. Um, You have my show about art history. There's this, and we've just picked up these two shows, um, Iconography and Culture Hustlers. And iconography is a kind of memory palace-esque way of looking at these different icons of different larger regions. So the first, the first season, uh, the host was living in London. And so he looked at all these sort of, you know, British icons, mm. you know, everything from, from Terry Pratchett to the Spice Girls.
2: Wow.
1: Uh, and now he's in New England and for a second season looking at New England icons. And the other is Culture Hustlers, which actually breaks our mold a little bit because uh, the host uh, interviews artists and talks to them about how to make their work a little bit more uh financially viable you know how to mm-hmm. make artists not starve anymore we all have this this really strong interest in using storytelling as a means of conveying information in a really accessible and and familiar and intimate way um and so the show high fi nation that that we just lost to slate uh mm-hmm. did that with philosophy
0: really um, yeah. Like I, it's a, I wanna to listen to every one of those shows right now. Like that's that's <laughs> my good, biggest problem. That's exactly what we're trying to do. <laughs> that's my biggest problem though. It's like I just wanna like kind of like the bookstore. I wanna read every book. Now I wanna you know, listen to every single podcast that's out there.
1: Yeah, and you know, and we're we're growing, we're always growing, but we also wanna be we wanna make sure that there is a level of of production post Appeal like a real love that the host has for their subject, which actually is very common in podcasting. So that's not the hardest thing to find, right? Um, mm-hmm. But just, you know, we want to make a network that that where any one of us would be really proud to shill for the other shows.
0: Mm, that's great. I think it's such a great idea, and I love that it's how long has it been over just over a year, right? You had your year anniversary, yeah. At Third exactly. Coast? We had our birthday at Third Coast, right? Oh, that's so awesome. So um, before we wrap, I want to make sure we share three random facts about you. And they can be anything anything you want okay. to share super random okay,
1: let's see. Um, well, uh, this actually isn't so surprising because I keep running into people who who share this, but I'm also a musician and a songwriter, hmm. which is like it seems like there are a lot of podcasters who are songwriters. I keep running into that. Like, and I think that there's a real reason for that. Like, there's a there's a way of storytelling through kind of very specific anecdotal detail that then speaks to a, a much broader, you know, kind of understanding of, of the human condition mm-hmm. that you have both in in radio writing and also in songwriting. That's what, um, kind, what
0: kind of style is it? A specific style of songwriting? Like folk.
1: Um. Oh. I, uh, I've been to a a retreat for the last six years, um, with the singer songwriter, Dar Williams, and she has just encouraged this incredible community and incredible writing. I picked up the banjo about four years ago and I love it. I love (laughs) it. I've been playing the guitar for, you know, since I was a teenager, but, um, but yeah, the banjo is just my, like my favorite instrument. It's awesome.
0: You're a really surprising person. I have to just say that, I, in, a, in like the most like likable way. You just have so many oh, hidden pieces yeah. to you, and you know you're complex. There's a lot of complexity there, but it doesn't, it, and it unfolds slowly, which I really love.
1: Um, so, random that, fact number two: I love Sweet Valley High books. <laughs> I love them. I have a ton of them, and I've gotten my husband into them because they're so awful that they're almost educational in how awful you, you know, what is the worst way to form your own identity is by, by trying to hold yourself up to the Wakefield twins who are two of the most horrible people ever. And yet I can't get enough of those books. And one of my, (laughs) you know, when I was you know, when I I used to come back from college and grad school and go to my mom's house, and she has a really nice tub, and I would sit there in the tub with Sweet Valley High books, and it was like the only way I could relax.
0: <laughs> um, Which is now so. are those like are those like um, adult or teen novels? Oh God,
1: they're like you know how like you know how like Trump is like like <laughs> a poor man's idea of what it is to be rich. Yes, <laughs> like. The Sweet Valley High is like, it's like a preteens idea of what it's like to be a teenager. Oh, okay. It's so childish and ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like the only things of value in the world are being thin and rich, like rich, really right. rich. Like it's, it's, it's such rich person porn and it's so <laughs> ridiculous. Like. Because then when you actually become a teenager, you realize that, like, who cares if somebody's rich? Like, it's just, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, just, anyway. I, lo- I kind of uh,
0: love with all your education and all of your intelligence that you enjoy that to go to when you need to relax. Yeah. Love that. I mean,
1: it's totally, I feel like what actually makes the show really successful is the fact that I love talking about this stuff. I mean, I've already referenced Clueless at least twice in the show. <laughs> And it helps people really understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, that was something about academia that I was always sitting on my hands to, you know, but it's like, if you just relate it to something that's happening now, Mm -hmm. then people will understand. And they're like, no, that's not, it's not academic enough. Right. You know, we don't live in the world of today. We live in the world (laughs) of the past. And that felt really, you know, when I, I started working at this finance firm, Um, because I needed a job after grad school and, you know, not only like, I felt like I had never been able to acknowledge the existence of the company, Netflix professionally, because you would never say in an academic setting, you know, if you actually watch the progression of Netflix's ticker or their Mm. stock value, you'll see that this is actually what runs the world and not, you know, (laughs) our stuff is poetics. And it was really nice to work in a job where they're like, yeah, we live and die by the tickers. And that was really educational for me to kind of come out of the academic bubble and see the way the world runs.
0: And then go back in. Yeah, I do think anytime we like step out of our our lane and go into another lane and then come back, it's like cross pollinating all of that and makes us Mm -hmm. a better person.
1: Um, Okay, third, I really love sushi. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's a good one that's fair
1: like like it's always what i want to eat
0: oh interesting even if
1: i had it for lunch interesting. it's my go-to and i i feel like my husband likes it fine but you know sushi we, again does
0: kind of... he like sushi again come on <laughs> <laughs> which i know is a
1: privileged thing to say but it's gotten so cheap that it it's, has you know it doesn't it's... Like when I was a little kid, like I would get it once a year on my birthday.
0: Interesting. Um, That's interesting because people didn't have sushi as much then, so that you knew it yeah. enough that you wanted to have it for your birthday.
1: Yeah. Well, my mom, I've, my mom introduced me when I was, I don't know, maybe nine or ten, uh-huh. and I was, I was smitten. Aww. Uh, and I have some work friends who over the course of the years that I've been at this firm, like I have a little sushi stapler, I have <laughs> some sushi magnets and some sushi erasers. And um, for our second wedding anniversary, uh, my husband got me like a like a stuffed
0: animal sushi. Oh, <laughs> they make everything, don't they? Yeah. They just make everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. It's got a little smiling face on it. And it's like the rice with the tuna on top. <laughs>
0: Anyway. So it's a little bit more than my taco truck fetish then because I don't have any tacos sitting around here in any stapler or desk 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 accessories, if I could say it. That's well, you fine. say you work from home, right? I do. So, yeah, if nobody's buying a, me stuff. If you worked in a cubicle, you'd, you'd get it, I promise. <laughs> That's good to know. Um, so before we wrap, I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you in the podcast. So can you rattle that off for people?
1: Oh yeah. So the website is, uh, the Um, and that will have, that has all of the episodes, all the transcripts, all the images, um, you know, any information about the show that you could be interested in, uh, on Twitter, it's at lonely palette on Instagram. It's at the lonely palette. Um, and Instagram is much more uh, I'll post images from episodes that, you know, kind of help further explain what, you know, I, I think the Instagram is actually more interesting. Okay. Um, Twitter is much more business oriented and kind of site business. Okay. Um, and you can like me on Facebook uh, and right. Patreon. We actually were running a little challenge right now through the end of the year um, where if I pick up an additional 25 patrons um, in a month, than a half or so uh i will do a bonus episode on you know that that fresco that had been healing and um, this this i think it was a woman took it upon herself to uh fix it quote unquote and just ended up with this really like ridiculous you have to look it up just just look up like like fresco restoration fail and it'll be the first hit um (laughs) And so I will do an episode on that because it's, it's hilarious and ridiculous and actually might be really interesting. Okay. Um, I did the same thing on dogs playing poker last year. (laughs) So if you want to get in on that Patreon challenge, it's patreon.com slash Lonely Palette.
0: All right. That sounds amazing. I love that you're taking it super pop culture in the middle of art history. So that's good. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, it has been really fun talking with you again, and I enjoyed uh, meeting up with you so much at the Third Coast uh, Conference. So thank you for spending time with me today.
1: Thank you. It was such a pleasure to talk. It was really nice to meet you, too. You, too. Well, take care. You, too.
0: Okay, bye. bye. As always, I have some new ideas of things to create after talking with one of these amazing glistening particles. And this time it's creating a collective of other podcasters or podcasts who are shining a light on people following their passion. So if you know any of those podcasters or their shows, please send them to me at glisteningparticles.com. And if you're wondering what's coming up next, some of the episodes already in the can and ready to put out are Claudine LaFond from Yoga Beyond. If you know her, follow her on Instagram. She's pretty big. Um, The other is Latoya Snell. She was recently featured in HuffPost Woman because of her, the, um, the image, the body image she's working on portraying as a marathoner, an ultra marathoner. She's amazing. And lastly, Jeffrey James, musician I recorded. So definitely check it out. We have more to come. Take care, everyone. So are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining.